Not picking through the offerings, just, you know. <laughs> so, uh, even though we're not going to have a traditional sermon today, we are having a scripture reading, and I still want to set that up for you guys. On this Father's Day, uh, the text is a message from a father to his sons, the father being King Solomon, remembered for uh, his wisdom. In fact, remembered for being the wisest uh, king who ever lived. Now, despite what it says on my shirt, I am neither the best father in the world nor the wisest. And it occurs to me that there's, I'm just going to say this, there's something arrogant uh, about a question and answer session with the pastor, especially when it's the pastor's idea. Um, <laughs> nobody asks, you know, to hear my opinion. Um, you know, there's this, this feeling of gather around my children, you know, and let me impart my wisdom uh, upon you. Or as I saw on a dumb t-shirt a few days ago, uh, everyone is entitled to my opinion. <laughs> Um, I'm just a guy, you know, I'm just a guy. I may be a guy who's happened to study and think a lot about matters of faith, uh, but that doesn't mean I have all the answers. But I've always wanted to do this, honestly, uh, because I think it'll be fun to have a little back and forth with you here in worship. And despite the somewhat patronizing uh, tone of the opening paragraph of this scripture, where Solomon praises his own wisdom, the writer goes on to tell his children to seek wisdom on their own. Get wisdom, he says. Uh, it's not something that he can ultimately give them. And true wisdom, I believe, is found in questions and in community. So bring your questions, and we'll seek out God's wisdom together. I noticed that the sermon topic is ask the pastor, not stump the pastor. <laughs> But I hope you put a few curveballs in there to keep him on his toes. Thanks, Lynn. Listen, children, to a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and my mother's favorite, he taught me and said to me, let your heart Hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever else you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a fair garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. All right. I think it's doubly important this morning uh, that we pray for wisdom, so please join me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom true wisdom is found, and in whose name we pray. Amen. 
I'm going <clears> to <throat> grab a seat. All right. I have a, I have a bunch of these cards that we collected the, through the offering. If anybody else has, does anybody else have a card that they'd like me to, to grab before we get started? And if you have one as we're going and you'd like to share that, just be sure to raise your hand and I'll come and get the card too. So who's the bold person here who'd like to kick us off with a question? Yes. Okay, Seth. Um, in honor of our work campers that will be returning today, I know that you went on many work camp trips. And I would like you to share one of your work camp experiences that brought you closer to God. So, uh, yeah, I went on, I believe I went on nine work camp trips. And, uh, and it's looking more and more likely uh, like I will be going on another one next year because uh, Pastor Kendra will be on sabbatical. Um, so I will be going back into the breach, as it were. <laughs> um, work camp is a, a truly remarkable experience. It was very, uh, very difficult for me at first, to be honest. I was uh, probably 25, 26 when I went on my first one. I'd never done anything like that. Uh, in my life before, and um, uh, you know, as you all know, I'm not exactly the, the handiest guy around, so that whole aspect of the work was very intimidating. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that brought me closer to God, um, I would say with some consistency, was our, our circle time that we had every night. Um, this was a really powerful experience every year, not always in the beginning of the week, you know, people are still sort of trying to relax, getting used to each other, but by the end of the week, um, circle time would go over, you know, sometimes three hours or more, and these young people are just pouring their souls out in, in uh, really remarkable ways and expressing uh, real vulnerability and trust in that community and, and in each other. And I believe, as I say in here frequently, that um, it's in that kind of vulnerable, honest community uh, that we recognize the presence of God, and we recognize it in each other. Uh, I believe that our soul uh, really is a spark of God's light, and we can see that in one another's eyes when we, when we don't hold back and when we let our defenses down. And that's what I really saw in those moments year after year after year. We've got a lot of written questions here, so I'm going to ask one from the, from the cards here. We'll go back uh, out to the congregation. A uh, question here is, how are we to regard intercessory prayer? Can we influence God's will with prayer, sacrifices, etc.? Or is it like body, body English in bowling? We just feel we are influencing the ball. First of all, as you'll recall from a couple of weeks ago, you should never ask me any questions about bowling. Um, <laughs> But intercessory prayer—that's a—that's a, a great one. Um, yeah, why do we, why do we pray, and why do we pray for, um, for outcomes? Um, I believe the biggest factor in prayer is building a relationship with God. I think that's the most important thing about prayer. I think that's really why we do it. Um, it's a way to keep uh, God's presence uh, known and keep God in our lives. You know, I think, I, think we can, I think we can ask God for, um, for anything, really. I think in our tradition, as you may notice, we tend to ask more for, um, 
for, for God's blessing and influence in our lives, right, in, in terms of asking for, for strength or for courage or for comfort um, or peace as opposed to sort of asking for divine intervention and, and intervening um, in the physical material world. I have heard of instances that have been pretty remarkable of that sort of intervention, and yet I also recognize that it's not typical. Um, I don't believe, uh, I believe that miracles may exist and happen, but I think they're called miracles for a reason. Um, it's not the norm. I can't tell you why it might occur in one case and not another, but, um, but what I can tell you, and I think this will probably come up again in some other question, is I believe that we live in a, um, we live in a material world, right? A, a material universe, a physical universe that is subject to, to decay, to um, brokenness. And we also live in a world with other people, right? Uh, and I, believe in, I do believe in human free will. I believe God's given us that. And uh, a lot of what we experience in life, I believe, uh, can, it comes down to the actions of other people. Sometimes even things that might seem um, to be natural, right? So, for instance, um, if you look at a an extreme weather event. Um, that can, you can call that an act of God or nature, but when we look at the science of it and, and recognize that there may well be uh, you know, human contributions to climate change that may create more weather events, then in fact that tornado is in some ways the work of people, right? Um, and so this all comes down to uh, if, if I don't believe God is typically thwarting the will of people, right, or intervening in that way. So if we pray for um, uh, something, uh, you know, tangible or physical, to, for God to sort of intrude in the world and, um, you know, cure an illness or change a heart or, um, uh, or you know, thwart someone's plans or whatever, um, I don't know that it works that way necessarily. And yet, there's a great deal of mystery involved in these things. Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with praying and praying boldly, um, and, and asking for things. Sometimes the answer is no, as we've heard uh, many times, but I think there's, uh, I think time in prayer is always time well spent, because you're always building that relationship with God. All right, before I go, I see a hand back there. Before I go out, there's two important questions I want to get to here. They seem to be from two different people, but they're related. The first question is, what is your preferred men's clothing store? Uh, <laughs> And that I think the follow-up and related question is, who is your barber? <laughs> my, uh, my preferred men's clothing store is uh, H&M because uh, I'm cheap. <laughs> and they are cheap. Uh, before I had a job, I, a real job, you know, I, I would say Goodwill was my preferred men's clothing store. Um, there's still some real diamonds in the rough to be found there. And uh, similarly, uh, by that logic, when I, when I do uh, get my hair cut, I'll usually go to uh, the hair cuttery. Um, or, because uh, I'm, again, cheap, uh, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> All right. We have a question from the judge here, I believe. 
little bit of history. Can you tell us what was going on with Jesus in Romans 13 that's been cited to us in the last couple days as a basis? Mm. Tell us what was going on with Jesus and why he felt important to talk about that. About the, the law and the, the following of the law, yeah. So uh, Linda asked um, what the, some of the, about the historical context of Romans 13, which has been recently cited uh, to justify uh, the uh, sort of adherence to, to government law, right? Um, specifically in regards to immigration and all that. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the Christian movement, as it were, which wasn't even called that at the time, but uh, the Jesus movement, as one can imagine, uh, was often accused of being the word I'm looking for, um, treasonous, right, uh, in, in terms of uh, here Jesus is claiming to, or his followers at least, are claiming that Jesus is the true king, that he's bringing the true kingdom. Um, there certainly is a, a case to be made, um, and many have made it very well, that Jesus uh, himself was uh, a political reactionary, revolutionary, um, that all of his parables um, are in fact, you know, uh, references to the Roman government, or many of them. Uh, and that's in fact why he spoke in parables, right? Was that he could be, you know, a subversive revolutionary without just coming out and saying bad things about the government that would just get him arrested on the spot or killed. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's also this, this sort of, um, I've been thinking, seeing this in the news, it, uh, it harkens back to Jesus' own words a little bit about, you know, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God when he's asked by the Pharisees in the temple uh, whether or not people ought to pay taxes to the, to the government. Um, Paul, uh, who, who said these things in Romans 13 about, um, you know, adhering to the, to the law, he's an interesting case in that he's, all, he's unlike Jesus, Paul's a Roman citizen, okay? Um, he has official citizenship within the Roman Empire, and uh, he tends to use that to his advantage in terms of uh, when he's thrown in prison, for instance, or mistreated, you know, he can kind of say, well, I'm a Roman citizen, you know, you can't do this to me. Um, and uh, he actually seems to be proud to be a Roman citizen. Um, uh, you know, it's hard to parse out to what extent he is, he genuinely feels that way versus sort of being, you know, overly flattering in an effort to mask his activities. But um, uh, I, think, I think Paul would have said, yes, um, a good citizen follows the law of the land, um, except insofar as it conflicts with um, the teachings of Christ. I think, personally, I think that's what Paul would say. Um, and I would make a case, certainly, that um, the separation of parents and children that this was used to justify would in fact be against the teachings of Christ and inconsistent with pretty much the rest of the Bible uh, for the most part. Um, and that's the danger of proof texting is what, which is uh, what um, the Attorney General did was, was uh, say, you know, take this one, one example, lift it out of context and use it to make a point. That's what they call proof texting. And um, you can get into endless debates about scripture when two people are doing that. Um, although in this case, I think 
the opposing view is not lifting up a single other text, but you know, hundreds of other texts, and looking at the book as a whole and saying, come on, this, this doesn't really hold water. Great. We've got a uh, question in the back. All right, I have a two-part question. First of all, how has, um, we've watched you grown as a pastor and as a dad. How has being a dad influenced your pastorship? Great question. Uh, by the way, I just want to say a special shout out to Tim Laversky. He brought the donuts. Thank you, Tim. In addition to your question. In uh, Blue Goose Grocery Store in downtown St. Charles, I get no money from them. So. No worries. No worries. I, I have to tell you guys, I'm, I'm not dodging your question, but I, but I have to tell you, when Tim volunteered to get the donuts, um, uh, I was very grateful that he offered to do that, but I was also um, a little offended because he said, he texted me and he said, uh, I want to get good donuts, not Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but I was not one to look at gift horses, so they, thank you, Tim. And they, they are, in fact, delicious. They saw their donuts there. Come on. <laughs> uh, okay, so how has being a dad influenced my being a pastor? Um, well, you know, it's uh, one of the central questions um, that both of those bring up is a question of authority. Um, and, and leadership style, right? Um, and I would, <laughs> I would say that um, my, I, okay, so I have a very, what I would call a collaborative leadership style, right? I like to build consensus, I like to negotiate, I like to, um, uh, you know, find the win-win in any given situation rather than just sort of deciding what I want to do and forcing everyone else to, to you know, abide by it. Um, passing of the peace today notwithstanding. But um, I find that works better in church than it does with my kids. <laughs> um, I find that's a pretty effective leadership style here. I find it to be a horribly ineffective leadership style at home. Um, it's sort of my personality. It's not in my nature to you know, be, be particularly authoritarian or, or um, harsh in that regard. Um, actually, my son said to me just the other day, he said, you know, I kind of feel like you and mom are a little harsh sometimes. And I was like, <laughs> you know, because I sent you to your room like once in the last three months, you know. Um, no, we're, we are very, uh, I would say, pretty, you know, liberal and uh, hands-off, you know, parents in terms of... Um, uh, I, I've, when I was a kid, the thing I hated the most, and I, and I try to avoid saying it, but sometimes it's inevitable, is uh, because I said so. Because I felt as a, as, a, as a kid that I had the, um, uh, the intellectual capacity to have a conversation about why whatever this thing was, um, was rational or, like, explain it to me, help me understand, and then I would just get, well, because I said so, and that was not helpful. But um, as the parent now, I recognize that that intellectual capacity that a child may think they have is not always, uh, you know, uh, there to the extent that they think it is. So I, I don't think, um, I would say it's the other way around. I think uh, my, 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 um, my life as a pastor in some ways has influenced my life as a father rather than the other way around. Um, and unfortunately, not always for the better, again, just because... <laughs> You know, it doesn't always tend to work uh, real well with kids. But the one thing I will say in terms of specifically to your question um, is it had, being a, a father has absolutely opened my heart in new ways, 
right? Um, it has lent me an, uh, an emotional depth that I did not have before, which I think any parent here can understand. Um, and absolutely, that is an asset in my work with the church um, because I work with all of you in so many different uh, ways and share so many aspects of your lives with you that are joyful or sad or, or challenging. Um, and having those, uh, that uh, availability of emotional range and depth um, certainly helps me to be more empathic, uh, more understanding, and um, more real in my interactions with you all. So. All right, so the second half of my yeah. question, which is, a, this is a tougher one, which is, uh, if you were to be any kitchen appliance or gadget, <laughs> what would you be? If I could be a kit or gadget, um, I, I don't know if this counts. This is, I'm going to try to subvert this with a, with a sort of cheap answer and say I would be a, um, uh, a, a kitchen device powered by an artificial intelligence so that I can still think for myself. All right. Uh, well, time flies when we're having fun, so we've got maybe time for one last question. There's a lot of great questions on the card. Does anyone else in the congregation have a, have a question? Over here. All right. I'm going to pass the mic down. Um, my question is, how insulting do you think the Monty Python movies are to the church? What a great question. <laughs> what a great question. You know, um, I think the Monty Python movies are great. I, I very much love the, uh, the old British sense of humor. Um, I don't personally find them insulting at all um, because I think it's, as I've said many times before, I think it's so important in life and even in faith, maybe especially in faith, um, to have a sense of humor and to have a sense of humor uh, not only about other people and their stuff, but about, especially about your own. Um, and, you know, in my, from what I've seen, uh, the things they poke fun of uh, in the church, uh, I think probably ought to be poked fun of, you know? I mean, there's a lot of, uh, in, in sort of the church written large, right, in, in, in Christianity, there's, uh, in the history of Christianity, there's a, there's a great deal of, obviously, you know, hypocrisy and um, all-around silliness, I think, uh, or, or, you know, becoming really fixated on things that, that ultimately don't really matter in the final analysis. Um, and uh, so when, when Monty Python, you know, pokes fun at, uh, you know, Catholic opposition to birth control, for instance, um, you know, I think that's, that's, that's a, that begins a conversation, right, about, okay, you know, what is this all about and does it hold any water? Um, so, you know, I think... I mean, obviously there are some kinds of humor that I think are intended to just be mean and, and nasty and mean-spirited, you know? And I certainly don't um, get a kick out of those when they're aimed at, you know, God or, or whatever. But, uh, but I think a lot of it is, is satire, right? And I think satire is a good thing because it helps us to take another look uh, sort of beneath the hood, as it were, um, of various aspects of our society and our faith. Great. Well, thanks uh, for your questions. We've got a lot of other good questions, so we'll 
uh, hold on to these maybe for some future. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll do a little uh, letter out or something that, that addresses all the uh, the ones that are left. That'd be great. Thanks for going uh, easy on me, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>